I actually gave a baby rabbit just born mouth to mouth. I just, I, I, I just little, little, <laughs> right? Yeah. Little chest compressions. And it took this huge gasp of air. And within like two minutes was just as healthy as the other ones. Blew my mind. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. This week on the podcast, we talked with a guy who's rethinking a lot of stuff about farming and where we get food from and doing some unique stuff. I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Thanks for being here and joining us on my continuing journey to get to know the real farmers in Washington state and share their stories with you here. Devin Day of Valley Farmstead Rabbits and Neil's Big Leaf Maple Syrup, both in Acme, Washington, has an incredible story to share of growing up in town and only becoming a farmer later in life. So join us as we get to know Devin Day and the fascinating stuff he's doing out in Acme. So when did you actually become a farmer? Like, how? What, what's your story to the farming world? Well, I, I'm actually fairly new to farming. So most of my background is in technology, computers, uh, software, that sort of thing. Uh, my stepdad, who's Neil, was working out here in Acme. And uh, I was working, you know, again, still in tech stuff. And he just called and said, hey, you want to come work out on the farm? And I said, <laughs> not really. <laughs> what was the farm at that time? What was he doing? Beef? There was a lot of beef there. We have a couple bison herds um, mm -hmm. and growing a lot of grass to feed different animals. And it was it was kind of a program that was, you know, building as it went, so mm -hmm. to speak. So, um, you know, we did that for a couple years. And this whole time, you know, he did... He was still playing with the maple trees and, and cooking out in the woods and doing that sort of thing. And Cooking um, out in the woods, that just sounds like it's going to be sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> well, like what kind of cooking out in the yeah, woods do they do out yeah, in Acme? Yeah, we should clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's clarify that a little bit. Um, well, so he was, you know, collecting sap from maple trees yeah. um, and he would had this big stainless steel tub that he made and he would built a big fire pit and he would uh down down by his shop and he would cook the maple sap down to the point where it was maple syrup and that kind of became the very first i mean there's there's a few hobbyists out there you know there's there's some you know eclectic forums you can find other people that are you know tapping some of their trees in their backyard and and uh, he was doing that, and so he would give away sap, or not sap, but uh, maple syrup yeah. for gifts, and it just got more and more popular. So that's where it all started, just a guy out in the woods cooking. <laughs> so he had asked you to come work on the farm or see if yep. you were interested, and you weren't. Yep. Well, he, at first, no. I mean, yeah. but the more I talked to my wife and... You know, we, I've, you know, I, I grew up in the city, then moved out to the county, you know, during my high school years. And the I city being it. Bellingham? City being Bellingham. Yeah. 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 Not like, you know, not the big city. city yeah. yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So um, well, I, I'm from Whatcom County yeah, too. Exactly. So I mean, the big city is Bellingham <laughs> to yeah. me. Yep. Um, and so you know, the, just the more we talked about it, it it sounded cool. You know, we really wanted to raise our kids. You know, out in the county, being able to run around with their shoes off and you know doing that sort of thing. I mean, we already homeschooled our kids. Um, and so it just, it made a lot of sense. We didn't have a lot tying us down. And so we just went for it. And it, that was about six years ago. And yeah, now. What was it like taking that step? I mean, that's it's a it, scary step to is, make, yeah. to do I that. I did college. I did, uh, you know, I went on a baseball scholarship and then I hurt my knee and got bitter and left and, <laughs> you know, that, that whole bit. And, um, so it, you know, I, I definitely love doing the tech side of things. And so I, you know, it was, it wasn't necessarily a scary step. It was just, I didn't know how much I was going to like being on a farm. I wasn't a farm kid, you know, didn't grow up as a farm kid. So that, I think that was my biggest hesitation, but, you know, talked about it. And one of the things too, is I did get to, you know, this is a, this, this whole farm is owned by a larger group, even though we're doing kind of our own things on the farm. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do work for a larger group. Um, and you know, I work for my stepdad. He's kind of the manager of a lot of different farms out here in Acme. Um, and so, um, I did get to do a lot of it and stuff still for the group itself. Right. So I still got to have my hands in there. So it wasn't, you know, I got to go into town into the, into the offices and fix everybody's computers and what farming involves it now. Yeah. So but I, I got a lot of free reign and I got to come up with ideas for putting, you know, efficiency sensors on this and, you know, temperature sensors on that. And you, know, you get to come up with a lot of different ideas. And so it, it, it was fun. And then, uh, you know, I got introduced. I'm kind of veering here. So if you want to. No, go for it. <laughs> I got introduced because uh, it was all food oriented. So the, the group itself owns... Um, some restaurants and things like that. So I was exposed to a lot of chefs and things like that early on. And with my marketing and kind of IT and, and technology background, I'd been exposed working, you know, in kind of that agency side of things. So I wasn't afraid to go and, you know, introduce myself to other chefs and, and you know, things like that. So it kind of snowballed. You had asked me earlier how did you, you know, get going with this? And, and it really just ended up with being exposed to a lot of those people, hearing that feedback of what they were interested in. And so, um, you know, I had already been, um, you know, working with some chefs on, you know, some rabbits. And, and that's, we do a lot of, of rabbit protein to um, chefs down in Seattle and it's expanded from there. And I brought him one of the little bottles of syrup that, uh, my stepdad was cooking out in the woods <laughs> and they just freaked out. They were like, you know, uh, and this was a very high end restaurant that, you know, was buying rabbits for, you know, all the, uh, fancy customers, et cetera. So, um, you know, once they found out, wait a minute, this, they already used maple syrup. That was the interesting side. And when they heard that this was made in Washington with uh, maple trees up here, and that's never been done, it just, and the flavor profiles are very, very unique, um, great for cooking applications. And like I said, they just, you know, they had to have it. And it slowly snowballed into, you guys got to set this up, you know, so that you can start selling us to us. 
and that's what we did. And so back up a little bit, you came out to work on the farm. They were doing beef and bison and other stuff. Yep. And you mentioned this rabbit stuff. How did that get started? I want I want to hear the rabbit story. Sure. <laughs> yeah, who rabbit, right? <laughs> um, well, and that's always the funny thing is like, so you're a rabbit farmer. Yeah, I raise rabbits, but um, so we, st you know, it was one of those things like I started to study rabbits and I started to understand how efficient rabbits were. Their manure is higher in nutrients than beef, you know, uh, pork, chicken. You can put it cold on to. So we started raising a few for ourselves, mm -hmm. you know, just for kind of the homesteading side of it and having some some really high quality protein. And then uh, because we were exposed to so many different restaurants and chefs already with all of the other aspects of the business, you know, it was like, oh, you guys have rabbits? You can, you know, and, and it kind of was like, yeah, I could, you know, expand a little bit, grow some for you and started with one restaurant and then another restaurant. And then now we do about 20,000 pounds of rabbit annually with... <laughs> probably wow. 50 plus thousand pounds of demand um that we wow. can't currently supply and um so like I, I, I go to the store yeah i don't, don't see you rabbit. don't find it in the store you, you you know it's funny i talked to a lot of older people and they were say oh you used to always be in the grocery store it's mm. you know i i don't know exactly why it disappeared i would imagine because of the success of the marketing poultry mm -hmm. um maybe maybe the whole kind of pet side of things i don't know but um, it's, it's, it, it is a very high quality meat. So to give you kind of a perspective of like usage of land inputs, that sort of, that sort of thing, we, we did probably 50 plus head of cattle. We had 200 acres to deal with those cattle, fences, staff, labor all over the place. Um, and we are in one third of an acre. I have this little field that I, that used to be for beef and I, uh, put up my, uh, hoop houses and in probably about a third of an acre, I'm putting out the same amount of protein grown per year as the 50 head of cattle. That to me just blows my mind. My inputs are smaller. My outputs are the same, if not more. And so are, are rabbits just more efficient eaters or something then? Like what's, uh, what's, the, what's the key to that? How is that even possible? Yeah, yeah. so I think one of the, the, the key things is I have a market-ready, what they call it a fryer, right? Just like a chicken. Mm -hmm. A market-ready fryer in eight weeks, 60 days. No hormones, no antibiotics. It used to, when I first got started, it took me 12 weeks to get to there, mm -hmm. to get to market-ready. Uh, once I started to research and really understand diet, animal health, you know, I, mm -hmm. when I first started, I just bought, bought uh, commercial rabbit feed, not knowing that there's better food out there for animals. Um, and uh, so there was that. There was just overall, um, you know, health of the animals. There was, uh, you know, uh, animals per, you know, unit that you're raising them in. All, all of these factors played in a big role. There's also uh, nutrition. So this might sound nerdy, but um, I, I learned huge, huge, huge benefits of vitamin C mm. and huge benefits of a product called Yucca, which has a very high 
um, uh, steroidal saponin content in it. Um, it is absolutely destroys pathogens. Mm. It destroys, you know, any sort of coccidiosis and things that you just deal with on a farm. Like, you know, there's a, there's a chicken slaughter plant on here and, uh, on the property and, and chickens from all sorts of farmers come in, see coccidiosis all the time. And we don't deal with that because of steroidal saponins in this yucca product, which is a natural, we put it into the feed. Hmm. We, we get a spray dried version. You can put in the water if you want to. And it's a 100% natural product that's in all kinds of other animal feeds out there. It's, it's nothing that's totally new. It's just something that we're, it's very high in vitamin C, fiber, I mean, you name it. Um, and they just, once I figured out the right recipe, so to speak, they just, their growth rates um, and their genetics, um, I spent a lot of time finding the right genetics for the herd. You know, it wasn't, you know, me just jumping on Craigslist and finding a few rabbits and growing to a few thousand <laughs> yeah. rabbits, right? Yeah. So, How many rabbits do you have right now? It'll vary depending on time of year and, uh, you know, our slaughter rate at the time, but yeah, probably anywhere from 1500 to 3000. Crazy. So, and we're expanding. I mean, the demand is high. We get a lot of people who have really bad, um, autoimmune problems and their natural path and their, the, the people that, you know, their doctors, if they, they're not supposed to eat meats, rabbit's the only one that they're supposed to be eating, according to their doctor. I get that, those calls all the time. Why is that? What, um, why is it different? I don't know. For some reason, it's just a very clean protein, either that or maybe their body hasn't adjusted to that protein itself, so they're not showing any autoimmune issues. Mm. I don't quite know exactly, but... I mean, I serve probably 15 or more people that have reached out. But the, the funny thing is, is they reach out because they know the way that we raise our lack of antibiotics, our lack of, you know, any sort of inputs to uh, manipulate, you know, disease or, or growth, you know, and we don't, it's all natural. Um, they're, and they do really well on it. Do really well on it. Crazy. I have one lady that drives out from Blaine weekly and buys like five rabbit and mm. off she goes. <laughs> so, yeah. So you talk about it, you have a third of an acre and you can raise as much protein. Part of that is because the amount of protein per pound of meat is a lot higher than well, beef, pro- right? When I say protein, I mean like poundage of meat. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because so, even per pound, yep. there's more protein in rabbit so meat, right? So I can right? take, yes, I can take three does, three female rabbits, and one buck, which is the, the male sire, and I can grow up to 600 pounds annually with those three. So the amount of, of so they'll do r- roughly about nine liters a year, right? And um, the average, you know, cycle of litters annually will give you about 600 pounds of meat. So if you're, you know, let, and that's the thing too, let's say you're, you know, you don't have a lot of property, but you want to be able to raise your own meat as well, but you don't have, you can't, you don't have the property for a cow or you don't have the energy or time for a cow. I mean, you can have three does, which is, you can, I mean, the, the housing you have to have for them is very minimal and one buck and raise 600 pounds of meat per year for yourself. They're very easy wow. to home slaughter um, and they're extremely healthy. So 
Back to the amount of space. If yeah. you're talking about a couple hundred acres of beef, you know, of ground to have like 50 head of beef on, yeah. they're eating all that grass and stuff though. Like these rabbits, they aren't just fed by the, the grass that grows on the third of an acre, are they? Like, cause you're bringing in feed as well. Uh, yeah. So we have a, uh, a garage that we converted into a fodder house, fodder being sprouted barley. Okay. So we do a lot of natural inputs into those. So we, we do bring in a, a, a commercial feed that's a custom blend from a local mill. Um, we do have a mill on site that is almost ready. So by spring, we should be 100% all inputs from the farm. So mm. fresh uh, sprouted barley, which is very high protein. They so just you're growing the barley or are you bring we, it in? We can do 1,000 pounds a day in the facility that we converted. Mm -hmm. So um, we do that. We also do a lot of, uh, we have about a third of an acre of, of comfrey that we do, which is high protein. Um, and we also have grow all our own uh, hay as well. So we have a lot of inputs to be, um, and there's also, there's a local, um, the place where we get our barley, um, they have, they do uh, malted barley. So mm -hmm. they have a process where they actually sprout their barley and then they dry it all in the same machine. And then those uh, uh, sprouted um, that they dry, the, the, the grass that comes off and gets dried out is an extremely high protein. Um, so we can actually take what is a waste product for them. Is and it Skagit malting? It is. Yeah. Yep. Well, and they're the, like the yeah. biggest and one of the only so in local, this whole region. Yeah. And so... That's been a really cool opportunity as well. So just every single input is something, you know, that input is a waste product for them, but an extremely, if we had to go buy that as an input and it's a waste product for them, if we had to buy that as an input, it'd be a very expensive product. Mm. Um, so we're, we're, we've been very lucky to have just these really natural. And that's the thing too, is we give tours all the time. Chefs will come and they're just like, wow, like, um, you know, every, it's so vertically integrated that, you know, it's all just single source. It's raised here. It's, um, bred here. It's, uh, processed here. It's packed here. It's, uh, you know, delivered. We do all the deliveries ourselves down through Seattle region. And, and again, it's mostly chefs and restaurants that, that are driving this demand right now. Yes. Because yeah. rabbit, it, yeah. like we were talking about earlier, it's not something you find in the grocery store. It's really not a common meat anymore. As yeah. you were mentioning, it used to be yeah. a lot more common. Yeah. And so it's just kind of coming well, and back. That's, and that's the thing. Like, okay, so I came from, like I said, a, a tech marketing, internet marketing background. You're always looking for a niche. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't want to do something that everybody else is doing. So if you can find enough people for that niche, there you go. Right. So and and the, <laughs> it was funny. I, I said, hey, let's I told my wife, I said, let's let's try selling it online, because another benefit with rabbits is it's not licensed by the USDA. It's um, it's FDA regulated. Mm. So I don't have the same interstate regulations. So I can it's not like poultry. I can. With my WSDA license, I can ship all over the place. Oh, really? Right, anywhere in the nation, which is great. So the demand, I, I, I you know, optimized my site, and because I had an SEO background, you know, my <laughs> rankings on Google skyrocketed, right, yeah. on, as, organically because I knew what I was doing. 
I said, okay, babe, let's flip the switch. I flipped the switch and literally I woke up the next morning with a few orders and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> so we started shipping and, uh, you know, it, again, so we shipped into individuals um, and I, you know, take it down to my local little small town post office and off it goes. Right. So do people get weird about eating rabbit? Not if they're buying it. Yeah. But, uh, but the perception, especially until they've tried it is, Oh, that's weird. Or maybe there are a you know. few out there. I've had those conversations, but usually when I explain the benefit versus their understanding of it, they tend to be like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. That, that makes a lot of sense. You know, wow, okay. And then when I tell them, like, we used to do beef and we needed 200 acres and now we don't do that. And now I grow it in a third of an acre. They're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, so I don't usually get the like, oh, you're an evil rabbit raiser. And I know that there's those folks out there that are kind of sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. But the good, I mean, they're almost the ideal meat. In a way, they're such a clean animal. Mm. So um, that's that's an so they, they they slaughter in a very clean fashion. You know where you know you got. What about the cute factor though? Like people think rabbits are cute, so yeah. it may be harder for them. To... Well, I, if you come over and you know get bit by a few rabbits, they're not going to be <laughs> as cute to you as they are. <laughs> so I have had a lot of yeah. bad experiences with cows being kicked. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Pushed. Yeah. They're smelly. I don't have any problem eating cows, yeah. but, you know, some people do. So, yeah, no, they are. And that's the, see, that's the thing is that's that kind of compartmentalization. Um, you know, we adore and, and go far and beyond, even for a rabbit that's, you know, hurt or, you know, we have this attachment to them, but at the same time, we also understand and have a, a, what they're for. They're for the food system. We also have a bunch of pets too, rabbits. You know, all my kids have their own pet rabbits. They're different breeds, but these are these are bred as a commercial meat rabbit. You know, that's the that's the breeders and the breed and the strain that I bought them for and from. And uh, they are quite a different animal than your your standard pet. Um, and uh, so, but you know, it's it's kind of having a respect for them at the same time. We. You know, it, I'll tell you a real, <laughs> my wife still teases me about this sometime in a, in a fun way. But, um, so we had, I had a, um, a mom that had a litter, right. And it really, and it's not because of the revenue factor, but I hate when rabbits, when they're born and they don't make it, it bothers me. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, We've had a very high success rate from where we started to now of our, um, you know, our birth rates staying very high, but it still bugs me. I like, you know, I try to get to a hundred percent cause I just, I don't like losing rabbits. Not, and it's not cause I'm thinking, oh, that guy doesn't get to go to slaughter in eight weeks. It's because, you know, it's a life at that point. Yeah. Right. And so <laughs> I thought, I wonder you know, you ever seen that scene in 101 Dalmatians when he's rubbing the rubbing the dog and it comes back to life, the, yeah. the puppies when yeah. they're born? Well, I actually gave a baby rabbit just born that was stillborn, mouth to mouth. I just, I, I, I just little, little, <laughs> right? Yeah. Little chest compressions. And it was a total blob in my hand. It's not, it wasn't firm, like normal little... Mm -hmm. And it took this huge, and I was, it was just out of curiosity, took this huge gasp of air and within like two minutes was firm, hard, and just as healthy as the other ones. 
blew my mind. Wow. And uh, I've done that many times now because for some reason they come out not breathing. Um, if you get a little bit of air in their lungs and, 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 and they're so tiny, you don't even have to really do much. You just kind of get a little air moving yeah. through their, through their uh, nostrils and, and air vent. And they, a lot of times, just pop right back up, take a big gasp, and there they are. So you, it's weird. You learn a lot of these little things that you'd never think of. And I think of all the little babies I could have saved. Yeah, yeah. So um, it reminds me of Erica DeWard that we had on the podcast a while back. She raises dairy calves yeah. and a lot of people get grossed out, but yeah. she tells a story all the time. She does CPR quite a mouth to mouth quite a bit yeah. on dairy calves. Yeah. It, it works. It's yeah. a real thing. Yeah. No, it's, it's still, it's still to this day. The other thing that works really well is, and again, we don't use any uh, pharmaceuticals, right? Um, so there's never a withdrawal period, even with the breeders themselves. We use uh, high-dose vitamin C. Mm. And I've had little, uh, little uh, kits, they're called, but little baby rabbits just born. And, um, you know, various, you know, issues or whatever. If there's ever an issue that goes beyond you know, something that, that isn't like, you know, it came out not breathing or something like that. I'll give it a little shot of high dose vitamin C. So for us, if I, the equivalent of kilograms of my body weight, if I would have take what I gave the rabbit, it would probably be 30, 40,000 milligrams of vitamin wow. C. Yeah. And it, they, they come right back, mm. especially if it's anything viral or bacterial. I don't want to say too much because <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're animals. They have their things. Yeah. And right? I just don't want to piss off the pharmaceutical company. So. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's an amazing thing. It it works a time and 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 time, and time, and time. ad nauseum again. It is when traditional hasn't worked works yeah. almost every time talk about your family you said you, you've talked about your wife and making a decision to you know go from town to the farm and do that whole switch but and and kids too you were mentioning they've got some pets and stuff how big is your family how many kids do you have how old are they i have four kids and uh so one uh is right in that decision making of looking for his first place so he's 20 okay and uh, the other one is, uh, geez, my wife's going to smack me. 14. No, just turned 15. Mm. 15, uh, 13, and just turned 11 recently. Okay. So two boys, two girls. What does that and mean they help. for you were talking about? That was a part of the draw to go to the farming world. What has that yep. meant for your kids and your family? Oh, they've loved it. I mean, we have, you know, we're on uh, the Nooksack River, so... You know, we have, they get to go down there all the time if they want. I mean, they have, you know, 200 acres to roam around on, which is, which is cool. I mean, all the time we have two UTV vehicles and my youngest who just turned 11, I'll be working somewhere and I'll see her way across the field, just do, 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 <laughs> flying down in, in one of the vehicles, you know, doing one of her own projects. I'm just like, I love it. I love that, it. That was me growing yep. up. So it's, it's I had been my good. motorcycle and I was out <laughs> yeah. doing this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, so that's been good. Um, you know, they it's everything we do here is family run. The the, the maple, the rabbits, uh, um, my wife, she does all the breeding. She's kind of the project manager of the up close and personal with all the rabbits. 
Um, she breeds them. She clips all their nails. Mm. She brushes them. You know, so every time they get bred, it's kind of spa day for the yeah. for the for the doe. So and she takes care of all that. She keeps uh, keeps all the records, breeding records, all that kind of stuff. So your kids gonna get into farming at all? Have they work? They're have- all helping yeah. right now. Yeah. So. Um, we just added a bunch of egg, you know, we added 600 egg chickens, which was probably not <laughs> a little, that probably I should have waited a little bit on we were that. We're just but. talking about chickens being <laughs> smelly. Yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, go big or go home, right? Um, so all the kids help. I mean, they, they feed, they water, they help clean, they do everything with us. Um, so it's a side by, what's cool though is the amount of entrepreneurial side of things that they've learned is great. You know, they've seen mom and dad start from scratch multiple businesses, and they're both doing really well now. Um, So they get to see that, they get to participate in that, they get to ask questions, they get to understand all of the factors that go into it. Because, you know, mom does bookkeeping, dad does deliveries, dad does slaughter, dad you know, builds out and designs, you know, uh, WSDA facilities, dad, you know, so does they get SEO. To see, Don't forget yeah, about the yeah, website stuff. Does all the web stuff. <laughs> I mean, so they get to see every aspect of it and they've, they've learned a ton, you know, so, and all the time they're like, you know, coming up with their own ideas and participating and solving problems. And, you know, uh, it's been good. It's been real good. So the, way, good the, way, the way you describe that yeah. <laughs> is farming is so much more than, you know, the yeah. the old guy in overalls turning yep. dirt, yep. you know, the tech part of it, the yep. construction yep. part of it, the family part of it, working with the animal. It's just so multifaceted. Yeah. You know, farming is in a lot of ways it, to me, and the way I've approached it is, very different than, you know, I, I think it was Joe Salatin has, I've watched a lot of his content over the years and, and he's always talking about the age of farmers. The average farmer is 60 plus years old. And so, um, you know, the way I've approached it, there's, there is a lot of aspects to it. And I'm actually, because of today's market access, that's one of the biggest things that I've heard other farmers talk about. And I think I was very lucky to have worked in that kind of sales, marketing, that whole role, because I wasn't afraid to go out there and get my hands dirty to talking to people, right? I'll walk right into a restaurant. I don't even know the chef and I'll introduce myself. I'll take them a product. And I do have the benefit of a pretty unique story. I mean, maple syrup made in Washington. There's nothing like that in the United States. We're the first. And then you know, a, a rabbit with probably the highest meat to be bone ratio they've ever seen. And um, so the conversation goes well f- quickly, right? I'm not bringing in a very common product. Mm-hmm. So that, that's been a, a good selling point. But I had to think that through beforehand, right? I could have, you know, done potatoes or chickens or, or broccoli or, you know, something, but I wanted to do something a little different and we kind of stumbled into the maple. Um, but you know, the rabbits were a little bit of a process of understanding a niche, right? Yeah. Um, cause it's not common. So let's, we've kind of touched on the maple stuff, but we haven't really gotten into that. Yep. So your, your stepdad was kind of playing with this, like you described cooking out in the woods. Yep. No, not math. <laughs> he was cooking maple syrup yep. in the woods. Yep proving essentially that you can do maple syrup oh, we out were here told because for told and told and told that it's not possible to do um 
even by most of the ex experts in air quotes. Yeah. Right? Um, and you know, we we're doing it. Um, not in large quantities yet. Um, we do about 200 gallons annually right now, which is, you know, for the ratio you need on the West coast versus the East coast of sap to, you know, a finished product, we're at times almost double. Mm -hmm. So you got to collect a lot of sap. So I kind of just for ease of math, consider it a hundred to one on mm -hmm. the East coast. It's like 40 to one, right? So oftentimes it's even more than double. Um, and I just use that and it's, it's often right in that 75, I would say that the, after all the years of doing it, the average sap to finished maple syrup ratio is probably 75 to one on the West coast. So, um, you need a lot. So we, we probably collect about 25, 30,000 gallons of sap a year to um, get the 200, to get the 200 gallons of finished product. Yeah. Wow. But you know, we also get 10 times the price for it as well. So break down in a nutshell, what is that process of collecting sap? I mean, I think the old school understanding and people have seen the pictures from yep. back East where it's a huge thing, yep. somebody tapping a tree. And I think the old school way was hanging a bucket hanging on a tree a and, yeah. and that was it. When we started the first, so when we first started, it was all gravity, meaning, and by gravity, I mean, you know, you, you drill a little hole, you put your tap in, you have a little tube that goes into a bucket, you know, sitting on the ground with a little hole in it so that you're not getting much rainwater in it. Um, that was our, or that's how we started. Um, we would go out and we would have all these little buckets everywhere. And it was a very tedious process, right? You had to lug these five gallon jugs, one in each hand, and that's five times eight, that's 40 pounds in each hand. Um, and you're walking and tripping and <laughs> it was a lot of work. So we started that way and he would take it up in his truck and go to his little handmade, you know, boiler and cook out in the woods, the woods being, you know, next to his shop and, yeah. you know, by his house. So, um, and that it mainly started as Christmas gifts, and uh, it just the word got out. Um, I took some samples to chefs, and but it was that process that got encouraged him to take it to the next step. Mm. Understand what they do on the East Coast, get a little more technical, um, put a little technology into it, and so he lo got a, hooked up a trailer, got in his truck grabbed his wife and headed off to Wisconsin to buy one of those big stainless steel evaporators um, that, that cooks um, sap and brought it back with some other equipment. So you pull a sap from the trees, yep. essentially, yep. and then that goes into this evaporator, evaporator which yeah. is basically cooking it down. There is one other step prior to that, which is so you have all, all the taps running. It's like a big vein system, and all of these connect back to a big main line that runs through the woods. Tubes all everywhere. Yep, yeah, tubes everywhere. And so it looks like a big artery system running through the woods. And then it comes back to a vacuum system in a little, you know, pump house, right? So um, what have people been, what, what does this syrup taste like? What have people been saying about it? Well, it's a little thicker than, than your traditional East Coast. There's, a, there's more minerals. There's, uh, because of that, you know, concentrated level that you have to, you know, the gallons that you need, you get... A bit more caramel type flavors uh, that come out. You get uh, hints of vanilla. You even, if you have good taste buds and and you're sensitive to that kind of thing, you can pull out little hints of coffee, all kinds of stuff. So, um, because of the rarity factor and just because of the kind of different flavor profiles, 
it's been far more used as like, you know, uh, cooking and pastries and, and recipes and sauces. And so, you know, one of the restaurants that we work with down in Seattle, they replaced all their refined sugar with it because it's mm. not, I mean, you tasted it, right? Mm. It's, it's very sweet, but it's not overly sweet, right? It's got a lot of depth right. to it. So it's been very popular from from a cooking standpoint and a recipe standpoint. Um, and just to give you kind of a uh, like a you know an understanding of of quantities that are made, there's about 12 million gallons of East Coast syrup made annually. Mm. In the U.S., there's 200 gallons, 200 <laughs> gallons of big leaf maple. So these are a different species of maple over here. Okay. Um, so it's big leaf maple syrup and versus the sugar maple versus the sugar maple from mm. the East coast. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a, and because of our forestry practices here, um, you know, you, you, you find these little pockets of big leaf maple groves. And when you do, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a, for us, it's like a little mini gold rush. You know, you, you're out hunting and you find these groves of maple or, you know, you talk to somebody um, that, you know, works on state land or something. They've given us access to go up and look and hunt and find and, and test and see how the trees run up there. And it's it's gotten a lot of attention from that perspective. So Because it was a weed. They poison the maple so they'll quit growing. But often they just continue to grow because they're, they're like a weed. They just won't stop. So Now, I know you see a certain huge sustainability opportunity yeah. with this maple syrup thing, especially out here on the West Coast. Yeah. Well, if you look at all the ways to deal with you know, our changing climates and, and things like that, there's one of the top ways, you know, if you go and study it is planting trees, right? Mm -hmm. um, all, you know, there's a lot of really good articles and there's a lot of news coming out now and, and planting trees is, is up there. And so what we see is because the tree itself living provides the revenue source, it continue it's like it's like its own economic engine the more you plant the more you can continue this economic engine but the trees themselves they're a huge shading factor for streams um they rebuild soils every year with the uh, leaves that fall um they uh um you know it, it the, the just the trees themselves are you know they pull carbon out Mm -hmm. um, there's so many factors that go into them. You don't have to cut them down. That's the great part. They provide, you know, habitat for animals, bugs, you know, just diversity. And the cool thing is they need zero irrigation. They need zero fertilizing. They don't need any inputs. You plant them and they grow like a weed, right? They can grow on poor ground too, right? Um, they can grow on pretty poor ground. They can grow on very wet ground too. So uh, it's kind of you know like when you have crep areas and and wetland areas and they're and they're planting that to remain that way. A maple is a really good uh, tree that can you know thrive in those kind of areas. And and so you can have these non-prime, so to speak, uh, agriculture areas where you could plant these along creeks and streams and this and. And they'll continue to provide a high quality sap that is extreme. The demand is so high right now 
I mean, we're backed up years in, in or I mean, we just can't produce enough. And, and But there's are, only 200 gallons. I mean, how, least, yeah. how much, you know, how far can that demand go? How much of a market do you think is there? Is there any way to even know? Well, I mean, they produce 12 million gallons on the East Coast, and it hasn't slowed down. So I can only imagine how much we could produce here as and it and because of the flavor profile it's not a it's not a replacement it's not a but it's it's something that can become another uh food product out there that can continue to provide reforestation right so you look at all the hills around here and they're either clear cut you have a lot of fir trees with laminated root rot or, or beetle you know uh disease and and so uh, it's there is a lot of revenue potential as a um, as a as a as a crop that you don't have to destroy when the crop is done, right? Um, there's no tilling. There's no um, it. For, to me, it checks all the boxes, right? It's it's been a pretty amazing. Um, and so all of those factors combined is why it's getting a ton of attention. You know, you, most of the, a lot of the schools are, are funded with the, you know, state lands and the forestry and things like that. And um, this is definitely another avenue of, of funding that can go into, you know, the forestry program. So, and, and, and just as an aside to that, like, you talk about, you know, where could this go? What's it doing? We're, you know, we, we've proven that commercially it's desired, right? Um, that it's doable and that it can be done on the West Coast. All it needs is some scaling. But like, you know, University of Washington, we've been working with them. They actually got a pretty large grant that is for a maple program and research for maple syrup. It's from USDA. And normally, East Coast, you know, it would be funding on the East Coast with one of the schools over there, Cornell or, you know, some of the schools that deal, have maple programs. But they got the grant because of the article we had in Seattle Magazine showing that the commercial aspect of maple syrup on the West can be done. And so now they're diving into the research. Washington State University has been calling and, and discussing, you know, the whole viability of this on this side. And there's so much untapped trees out there um that it's a very viable potential program without doing a lot of damage the the once you put up the infrastructure it it can be there for 10 plus years before you need to replace lines and so every year that same revenue stream is there without having to remove the tree to get that profit that just that's mind-blowing to me you know and then you can you know we're working on ways to row crop it like raspberries um, and the revenue per acre is huge, huge with the big leaf maples. So what's, what's the future with not just this, but farming and farming here in Washington state? You know, I talk to foodies all the time, like the new generation of foodies, the new generation of chefs, the new generation of farmers. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of it just comes down to, you know, overall practice. There's a lot of stigma right now. I mean, you know, you hear the whole thing of like, oh, we got to get rid of meat and everyone's got to start having a plant-based diet. I don't know. I think a lot of it is just, you know, uh, we're thinking about it. I, I have a kind of a concept that I looked at, you know, called small food, right? And it mm. kind of evolved as I was doing the rabbits from the transition of the cows, right? 
And it's not necessarily that we need to stop eating meat or that we're all going to start eating bugs like you read in some of the articles, right? <laughs> I'm not going to start eating bugs for my you know, uh, protein source. But I think we have to be thinking and conscious about how we're doing things. I mean, if you think about it, today, I, I think that you know farming is going to move into... You can hear next door. We're we're next door to them. They're cooking syrup next door, and you can hear the the filter pump kick on, and it's <laughs> bubble, 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 bubble. That's awesome. Uh, so, but it's not just about having a unique food. It's about how to scale it and get. You know, it's very hard right now with the mechanisms in place to get to that marketplace. And plus that's the cost where, of getting there. Plus the cost of getting there. And, Absolutely. And, and that cost makes it difficult, for instance, to feed the masses. And that's the thing is I've been lucky because I know mm. how to develop business models. I know how to think through niches. So I'm in a unique position. I am excited to see these things evolve in a way where those marketplaces get opened up to small farmers. You know, right now it's all CSAs and farmers markets. Those aren't like really large growth factors for opening up big market channels for these farmers to scale, right? So Fascinating. Thank <laughs> you for sharing your story yeah. and your journey to this point. And it's going to be fun to watch some of the stuff that you, I mean, you've already come up with so much here already. And you strike me as the kind of person who's going to keep, a, keep coming up with more and more stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's growing rapidly. It's, it's a lot of fun. And, and uh, yeah, we'll, uh, I, my, the biggest thing that I like doing is sharing the information, mm. right? I don't, to me, this isn't about profit. It's about making change. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, just the sappy side of, you know, let's, you know, change. I mean, yeah. truly getting people involved in something that benefits them, benefits the market, benefits the animals, benefits the planet, benef you know, it's got to be that whole picture, right? And I love sharing that information because it's not just about, you know, making profit. I think a lot of people are ready for that. They're, yeah. they're done with the they slogans are. They are. and they want Absolutely. Real. I totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. Appreciate it. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Seriously, that maple syrup was incredible. You really should try it if you can manage to get your hands on it. And as he was explaining, you know, they, they make so little of it and the demand is just growing like crazy. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast today with Devin Day. As you can tell, he's a super outside the box thinker, does really unique stuff and has such a cool story to share as well about his family and his background and what he sees for the future too. I think we'll be talking with him again on the podcast. I know he has so many ideas about what farming could look like. Again, this is the Real Food, Real People podcast, documenting my journey to hear farmers' real stories and share them with you here on the podcast, as well as at realfoodrealpeople.org. Please subscribe if you can on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts and the list goes on and on and on from there. Pretty much any podcast platform you can find us. Also, feel free to drop me an email anytime you have an idea for the show, some feedback, maybe something you liked or didn't like or whatever. Dylan at realfoodrealpeople.org. Again, thanks for being here, and we will catch you next week on the Real Food, Real People podcast. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Save Family Farming, giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at savefamilyfarming.org.